Good evening, this is Ernie Gagax. If you love basic D&D, as I do, spend some time enjoying the Saber Dime podcast. Check it out. You burst through the door. You find a small room filled with gold and jewels. And a red dragon, he starts to breathe. Doogie boogies, everybody! It's episode one hundred and four of the Save or Die podcast. This is your so somewhat occasional regular host, DM Mike, and with me is the woman who has recently stopped putting pot pop rocks in the cat's litter, <laughs> DM Liz. Um, hi. <laughs> I wish I could Disclaimer: do th- I've never actually done that. <laughs> That's her story, and she's sticking to it. Also. <laughs> Also, as usual, is the other infamous one, DM Jim. Ah, Hi. (laughs) (laughs) And this episode, we are talking about taverns, the use of taverns, what we've done, what we like, what we don't. And it's going to include a Products of Your Imagination review of AC1 Shady Dragon Inn, which we have recovered before on the show, but we're going to give it a Another cover, because it's been all over 50 episodes, and Jim wasn't around to give his opinions. I, I so, swear to God, I do not remember covering this product. I only not remember, remember it. I only remember that at one time, I remember mentioning on the show about the special characters in the back that uh, were done after the, you know, as stats for the D&D action figures. And it was supposed to be basic D&D, but they had a assa- half-orc assassin. And I'm like, eh, looks like that slipped through on AD&D. Literally, that's the only thing I remembered about it before I looked it over. So, anyway, we'll, if we gave it a cover, we'll cover it again. But first... What did we do at David this week? Who cares? What have we been doing in gaming this week? DM Liz. Wheel. Something we forgot to mention last episode, um, but was kind of a big deal for us. We actually got an opportunity to try um, 5E over our Christmas break. Woohoo! As we've mentioned in the past, our DM got married um, shortly before Christmas, and... For his bachelor's party, <laughs> he came over to our place and we hosted a gaming night 
he ran 5E, the adventure from the starter set for us all. Big wild party. Yeah, big wild party. Um, So wait a minute. I just want to make sure I'm keeping track of what you're saying. A and d bachelor party. Yep. So Cobalt jump out of a cape? In a chainmail bikini? No, nobody jumped out of a cake, unfortunately. Um, his his uh, Dan- Mead, his fiance, was disappointed in him. She had, she had wanted him to go to a strip club, but she they, went to a strip club. She went to a strip club, <laughs> but but he instead decided he was just going to to game. And, and the rest of our really, group, we really can't you know say anything because that was Mike's bachelor party before we got married. <laughs> So, Liz, however, did not go to a strip club. In both cases, I was at the gaming bachelor party, <laughs> gaming with everyone. This just confuses my whole brain because that part of me is going, I'd rather have a bachelor party that's a D&D session. <laughs> that would be awesome. <laughs> and then the other yeah. half of my brain goes, or sad. <laughs> it's awesomely sad. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, so. It's awesome. So anyway, or not. we played 5e. Chase ran 5e for us. We used the pre-gen characters that came with the, the starter adventure. And so we got an opportunity to experience 5e. And I know there have been a couple of people who have written in wanting to know if we would ever do an episode comparing 5e to basic. I don't think that we will do an episode about it. Um, I will say experiencing the starter set and we did not do any optional rules or anything like that. We wanted to experience the game pretty much vanilla out of the box. I think it's a pretty different animal than than basic expert, quite frankly. Um, I'll be the first to admit it's got some things that they have certainly improved from when I tried third edition. Um, I enjoyed 5th edition a lot more than I enjoyed 3rd edition when I tried playing it. It felt more like D&D. Yeah, it, it had a really, it had a D&D feel. And as some people have said, um, and I kind of agree from the one session, it has, I think it really does have kind of a 2E sort of feel to it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd, I'd say so. However, that being said, I also think, you know, there, as Mike put it after we all finished playing, you know, it had a major case of power creep. Our first level characters were a hell of a lot more powerful and could do a lot more than a, a first level basic character or even a first level first edition character. Um, yeah, so, I felt... Um I felt like I was running a third-level fighter, actually. That's interesting. Instead of a first-level fighter. Now, don't get me wrong. We all had a good time. And I I would not mind playing 5th edition if someone was running it at our local game store or there was an open seat at a convention and I wasn't already signed up for something else. But I don't think I personally would want to make it a regular game or run it. And I think I said on someone's Facebook page, you know, about a month or so ago, most of the things that I liked about 5th edition, they're already in Castles and Crusades. <laughs> and so I would, given my druthers, I'll just run Castles and Crusades because it has less of the power creep issue to me. 
and all of the things that I was liking about the 5e thing, it they seemed to have taken it from Castles and Crusades. So, so we are not going to do a comparison of 5e versus basic, except right now. <laughs> well, we're not doing an entire episode about it. <laughs> send, your, send your emails to DMLiz, care of Podcast at gmail.com. That's right. Send your emails. Tell me why I'm wrong. But <laughs> that's that's my opinion about it. Apart from that, uh, we've gotten back together with our second edition group and have started getting back into our gaming schedule with them. Spell jamming away. And this past Thursday, Mike and I were in a basic game with Teeman, um, which he does via Roll20. Kind of does a combination of Roll20 and Skype. You know, we talk over Skype, but the maps and everything are on Roll20. Um, so, anyway... That was what we did. <laughs> yep. Strictly speaking, he's running basic fantasy okay. RPG, but yeah, it, it's it's a it's a retro clone ish of basic expert D and D. I just got that a few months ago. It's really rock solid. It's pretty good. Yeah, yeah we need to review that soon. I I talked to the writer Chris Gonderman about maybe coming on in a future episode, and it may be kicked down the road a little bit now because. We're getting pelted with uh, requests to review some of the old cla- old stuff for a little while. But yeah, we, we need to do that. I, I peered into the future through my crystal ball on the forums and see that we're going back to do another... Uh, what Guess are those here? Ca- yeah, those campaign <laughs> setting things. Yeah. <laughs> next episode, yeah. right? Yeah, next episode, unless we squeeze in an email show. And I think that's Emirates of Alarum or Principalities of Gantry. Glantry, one of those. So, uh, yeah, um, I'll just add in at uh, Teeman's classic game. We were fighting uh, skeletons and sentient piles of plant matter. And as you can imagine, chlorophyll jokes abounded. <laughs> but we killed them and saved the dwarven, dwarf, young pretty dwarven maid to, to return to her family. And had a tasty salad afterwards. Mm. Leave it to you guys. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I pulled. Yeah, Leave her alone. <laughs> Although at this point, I, I'm really beginning to feel like Spelljammer is really its own game, even from AD&D, but that's just a personal feeling. Um, what about you, Jim? Well, I think it says something about any game mechanics, if it can be readily expanded into multiple genres. That's, the, that's one of the joys of D&D and D20. So, oh, I'm sorry. You asked me a question. What about me? What about me? Um, what about you? We uh, gamed last night, and I, I want to say we finished the uh, Mutant Crawl Classics character funnel we were play testing. Um, he doesn't remember. Well, they no. The players did that thing where they skipped ahead to the the, the ending and ah. and skipped over a bunch of rooms that they now want to go back through. But uh, <laughs> got to clear out for loot. Right, 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 right. Which is, that's old school. I can roll with oh, that. Yeah, yeah. But uh, we, uh, I think the grand, t- I, we, I killed so many player characters, I lost track. We <laughs> we <laughs> start out with 21 level zeros, and I think by the time they emerged victorious, we had six or seven. But uh, they, my dice did something they never do. My dice light lit up like Chinese New Year, and uh, that never happens when I'm a player. It only happens when I'm a GM. I rolled two natural 20s back-to-back, saving for the boss monster. 
right in front of him. I wasn't rolling behind the screen even. I'm just like, okay, save. Because I want the guy to not save. Say 20. And everybody's like, oh. And they're like, next round, save again. 20. (laughs) (laughs) And they had some poor luck. I mean, you know, when you come in a room and uh, discover two rejuve chambers, one of which will heal the party and the other of which contains a radioactive zombie, guess which one they broke and couldn't open and which one popped right open? Uh, <laughs> I sense so, I sense brain eating. That's all I got to say. So, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm not really very good at tooting my own horn. It makes me uncomfortable for some reason. But for months now, I've wanted to talk about some stuff of mine that actually came out. So I can now talk about it. Uh, a lot of people gotten their uh, Metamorphosis Alpha Kickstarter loot, which included a lot of uh, adventures. All the support the game should have gotten in 1976 and didn't. So, new adventures by Jim Ward, Michael Curtis, Joe Bittman, John Hook, and my own adventure, The Captain's Table, which I'm Yay! very yeah, happy with. Yeah, we got that last week, didn't we? One of the boxes? Uh, yeah, but we didn't. We weren't able to afford to um, back at that level, so oh, okay. we didn't get any of the adventures. We just got the poster. And, yeah, okay. we'll have to buy those separately. Okay. Or, but it is super cool that it came out. Or when my author talk about it. <laughs> when my author copies show up, I'll just send you one. Aw. <laughs> well, I... I I, I, my first published adventure in a couple of decades, and uh, a thing that uh, one of the books is one of the stretch goal books was the Mutations Manual, which is just this big book of extra mutations for Metamorphosis Alpha that we all did the dog pile on and contributed to. So the <laughs> the you know authored by list is tons and tons of people: uh, Taco John, me, uh, Joe, James Ward. But because of something that Jim discusses in the foreword. Apparently the story was that whenever Gary Gygax played Metamorphosis Alpha at Jim's table, he would always say his mutant took the mutation total healing. And Jim would explain to him, there's no such mutation as that. Gary would show him his copy of the rules in which he had handwritten the mutation. (laughs) So for the... uh, Why is it written in crayon, Gary? (laughs) So for the uh, mutation manual, uh, Jim officially included... Gary's total mutation of total healing, which means, without a time machine, I got a uh, shared credit with Gary Gygax on something. I, which you know, I never thought that would happen. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like that Big Bang Theory when they were playing that card game. Oh, the Warlords of Ka'a. Ka'a. And he said, <laughs> and Sheldon said, you know, I'm playing the card Infinite Sheldon. Right, and, right. And it doesn't break break the rules against uh, homemade cards because I printed it at work. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't make it at home. I made it at work. You know? <laughs> How literal the name is. So, that and a bunch of deadlines. That was my week in gaming. Woohoo! <laughs> All right. Well, then, I'm curious to know, Liz. Yes. Do we have emails? No. Right. <laughs> and we will be moving in <laughs> directly to emails. Emails. Insert, <sighs> insert bumper here. <laughs> get down, get down, get down, get down. The Save or Die email hot tub time machine. Come here, you scrumptious little beauty. Here I go once again with the email. Every week I hope that it's from a female. Oh man. Alrighty. So, our first email is from Kevin Long. Imagine that. Who? <laughs> Hi, Kevin. <laughs> and Kevin writes, 
Hi, Liz and guys. All right, I have first <laughs> billing this time. You got a promotion. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was just thinking about good clerics casting inflict light wounds. I know that the spell might not work this way, but I can see a lawful good cleric doing something like that. Kevin. Hmm. That's that's one of those um really gray areas. You know, I'm Yeah, the cause cause versus I mean the book pure. pretty much says, you know, only evil clerics can do, you know, cause light wounds rather than cure. At least the cleric good clerics all or rather lawful clerics already have a inflict minor wound it spell it's called a mace mm-hmm. uh i don't know it, again i think it's one of those you have to it depends on your campaign i'm a little leery about that myself because you know then it it, it would p- ramp up the power of a cleric though if they could do either or i really like your answer i've already got an inflict light wound which, <laughs> bam <laughs> wham yeah there's one wham here's another one <laughs> Although I must say, the way my D20s act for me sometimes, you know, I couldn't hit the broad side of a barn with my mace. The last gaming session we were in yesterday, our 2E game, I mean, I am technically a ninth level cleric. I've got gauntlets of ogre power now, so that gives me a plus four to hit as well as to damage. I had a magical mace. I still could not hit crap all day yesterday. I think I, f- I fumbled twice in a row with two different D20s. It was just awful. We need to go to CoastCon this year so you can rub those dice on Luzaki. <laughs> hey, that'll work. <laughs> Especially if they're, if they're um, game science dice, which you know would make it perfect. <laughs> I was kind of wishing I had a clerical version of a magic missile where I could automatically hit something. <laughs> so I could see how that would be um, tempting. Um, I'm not sure I would do it, though. It just, it just feels you? wrong. It feels wrong. What about you, Jim? I'm sure somewhere there's an exception that proves the rule, i.e. some lawful good deity that allows bloodletting. So maybe in that one case that I can't even conjure up in my head, maybe. But in general, you're—I mean, it's against the spirit of and intention of the rules. If you can't even have an edged weapon, why are you going to give somebody inflict light wounds? Yeah, unless you're evil high priest or something. Yeah, just okay. Suck it up and play a cleric. <laughs> so I guess the what it boils down to, Kevin, is it—if you want to do that in your game, that would be great. Uh, unfortunately, don't think we'll be doing it. Your mileage may vary. But anyway, DM, I got to make a note here. DM Kojo, you need to write or call into the show again because you're about to lose your your crown of write, eternal writing in to Kevin Long. He's <laughs> he's kicking your butt. Kevin the prolific. Indeed. All right. Well, our next email is from Lynn from Miami. Hello, Lynn from Miami. And Lynn writes, "Hi, I love the podcast. Love it. I am almost caught up." And there is one thing I have yet to hear on the show that I would love to hear. Putting a cogent discussion. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) We're doomed. (laughs) We can do pudding. (laughs) A really analytical look at the strengths and weaknesses of Basic Expert. 
one that doesn't just blow off detractors, like Glenn's dislike of ascending AC, just cause, but really tries to address the valid issues some people raise with the system. I don't want to hear a debate. Well, maybe I do. But I would love to hear you address the detractors' concerns without a simple blow-off. Examples. Skills. <laughs> Mike wow. hates skills. It should totally be a bumper sticker on somebody's car. Mike hates <laughs> right. skills. <laughs> he raises the really good point that the absence of them is actually freeing, as players can have their characters try anything. That's a great point. But then the conversation ends, and it shouldn't, because the logical counterpoint is, what if the characters can try anything, but have skills that underscore the few things they are really good at doing? Isn't that me exact mechanic effectively already in place for thieves, since anyone can try to climb a wall or listen at a door? Of course it is. Um, I would debate that. I have been in games with people, with DMs, who say that you can try, but you will fail. Because you don't, you're not a thief, so I, I could argue that. But, that's a that's but, a nice DM where I come from. <laughs> <laughs> a not nice DM and, says, "Sure, go ahead and give it a try," and then oh, you know drops the anvil. And <laughs> and I could make the other point of that's what attribute bonuses are for, to show that you're better at some things than others. But anyway, go ahead. AC, I love Glenn. <laughs> But he could never convince me that descending armor class has any merit other than nostalgia. We love However, Glenn, too. That doesn't mean he's right. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. However, I might be convinced that descending AC is a good thing if someone were to have posited this argument. Ascending AC turns AC into a naked game mechanic. The number is the number you need to roll. It's like a car with an exposed engine. Descending AC, on the other hand, hides the mechanic just a bit. I know lower is better, but I don't quite know what I need to hit unless I check my character sheet. The engine is under the hood, hidden away and doing its job. It's a very thin veil, sure, but it might be just enough to add a bit of mystery and charm to the rules. I would love to hear you folks really dig into stuff like this and see what conclusions you come to about what you really like, what you like not quite so much, and why. Thanks again. Awesome podcast. You are all my favorite one on the cast, and you all deserve cookies. Lynn from Miami. Thanks, Lynn. Well, we did do an entire episode just on skills <laughs> right yeah. before this one, so I guess we've kind of covered that, hopefully to your satisfaction. Um, I'm not sure if we could do an entire episode on how we deal with armor class, though. Well, I'll just say that I don't have a problem with Ascending AC. I only got annoyed when people said that Descending AC is too hard. <laughs> well, I mean, I hope I say this right and don't flip them in my head. Uh, <laughs> I would venture to say that 99.9% .9 of everyone that advocates for uh, Descending AC is only doing so because that's the way they learn to play and they just imprinted on it at that time i'd say that's what glenn 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 you know from playing as a, a youngster has got that imprinted in the dna in his brain now and so naturally he likes that better and it works just as well um granted ascending kind of does two things by both uh giving an ac number and a target number 
to me, anything, yeah, it's not one of those things where, you know, oh, it's got a ascending AC, I hate it. <laughs> Whatever the subject is. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's simple math. If you're not impaired by dyslexia, all you have to do is add or subtract uh, the value of nine to one to get the other, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think the problem with doing debates on certain things and you know, mechanics of classic D&D and its detractors is half of them are like, kind of what you inferred, Jim, is half of it is simply personal opinion or personal preference. Ascending AC, perfect example. That does, isn't comfortable for, say, Glenn. It doesn't work for him. That doesn't make it better or worse. It means it just doesn't work for him. And well, there are m- many of idiosyncratic rules in classic that it's hard to do an arbitrary debate. You know, there's no absolute right or wrong. Yeah, my comfort spot is just play whatever system's being run at the table and shut up and be happy with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, and, but it, it uh, you know we, we all see what happens on Facebook and in forums when this, these kind of things get discussed. Mm-hmm. And the and you know unless you took rhetoric in college or debate club in high school, people get the two issues confused you can discuss you can have a discussion or debate about the pros and cons of individual game mechanics you cannot have a discussion or debate about preferred play style because you just have that i mean i'm not ever going to talk you into subtly loving fourth edition D. yeah no you're not although <laughs> i will say although i will say fourth edition is the one version i have not actually played i just heard about it and said no I, I can tell you right now, not for me. So, yeah. As far as, you know, if any of us decide we want to pontificate on a particular point or deal with that, that sounds like that would be good something for the basic impressions section. You know what we could do? We could have Frank Mincer back on the show because he surely studied the hell out of uh, Basic Expert in order to write Redbox. No, no, true. true. Maybe you can ask him at GaryCon or something. See, I passed the buck there. That was. No, very nice, very nice. Oh, dude, I'll just bust him, call him up at home after we get off. If you want to. Anyway, thanks for the email, Lynn. All right. Our next email is from J.V. West. J.V. And he writes, Well, I was flipping through the 5e monster manual and noticing some good things, such as the fact that all the ACs line up pretty well with TSR editions. But then my eyes fell upon the kobold. Reptilian humanoids. Oh! No puppies here! Though the image does have a strong dog or wolf-like quality to it. I wonder if the artist listens to Save or Die. <laughs> of course he does. Or she. <laughs> really? Because I'll, I'll put money down on that. <laughs> <laughs> Reptilian humanoids. Ah, well... <laughs> Well, let's start with the queen of all kobolds. What do you think? (laughs) Well, I couldn't say whether or not the artist listens to Save or Die, but they will always be puppies in my campaigns. I don't care what the monster manual says. (laughs) Well, there's one more thing not to like about 5th edition. (laughs) Well, the drawing has a... So, that's that's good enough for me. (laughs) Good enough for me. The uh, actual art in the 5th edition Monster Manual, I don't have any problem with because it's not as their little mini dragons, which is just, again, we're talking about personal preferences. I imprinted on the uh, 
Was it a uh, Diesel's Cobalt Illustration, or did Tramp do that one in the original Monster Manual? Monster Manual. I think it was Tramp, but I'm sure someone will correct me. I should know that. But, but anyway, you know, so it can be reptilian and have a puppy face. I'm happy. And I'll be happy because my wife tells me to be. <laughs> good man. Good man. All right. Well, that's one more email, perhaps? One more. Ooh, Francois. And Francois, yes. Um, and Francois Beauchemin. Hopefully I didn't totally butcher that. <laughs> says, hi, everyone. If you have trouble with Francois, Frank is okay, too. Uh-huh. All right. We're going to call you Frank. <laughs> um, anyway, he says, and before you try out my last name, it's pronounced like Beau-Cher-Me, but just don't. <laughs> and by the way, it means beautiful path. Thanks, Frank. <laughs> they asked me for an email. I told them we already got one. (laughs) What got me started on your podcast was episode 88 on the Grand Duchy of Karamikos. (laughs) Oh, boy. Hey, he's still listening. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Or we assume so. As of that email, he was listening. Which is what I am currently using for my new OSR online campaign. Thank you for that. But I hope you will eventually do a few more. Next episode. Are. Or the one after that. <laughs> or something. We, we really are. We Almost promise. practically there. Here's a bit about me. Longtime player and DM, now back into old school after a few years in 4th edition. I've read 0E, Basic Expert, 1E, and a bit of 2E, too. See which one I would pick. Finally, I, my choice went to Microlight 74. Now to the core of my email. Number one, an answer. Can't remember which episode, but you were talking about the utility of empty rooms in dungeons and wondered why they were there in the first place. My answer to that is to whittle away at resources like torches and spells. While removing them is useful for a fast-paced game, for cons, one-shots, etc., personally, I would leave them in. It adds a dimension that not all rooms are the same, and destabilizes some normal time-consuming routines while the torches are burned out by systematically checking empty rooms. Thieves are likely to check less each and every inch, and fighters will more likely kick in the door to make something happen. That's DM gold right there. (laughs) It sure is. (laughs) Also, added bonus for the DM, empty rooms can be populated if a spur-of-the-moment idea need, NPC, or foe comes during play. Hmm. Quite true. Number two, question. What do you think about DMs rolling secretly for each saving throw and skill ability check? The question comes to you because I do roll secretly, and this is in my online game. Here's my reasons. It kills metagaming. When the thief rolls to verify traps and rolls a 19 etc., he and other players know for a fact that it's really not trapped. Gain time. Most players don't know their numbers by heart. Each time a player takes their mind off the game to look up their bonus to a skill, it stops immersion and takes time out of our precious gaming night. Role-playing is enhanced, in my humble opinion. Since I roll everything, they seem to just do, instead of evaluate who is best with out-of-game knowledge. 
I must concede that this is much easier with online rules like Roll20.net. I've made various Hmm. macros for smoothing play. One last suggestion for face-to-face games. Have players roll their damage dice with the attack roll. Save time. Thank you very much for your time taken on my post. Francois. Thanks, Francois. Yeah. Um, God, I've got one player that loves to do that attack and the damage die at the same time thing. Well, that is a good idea. I mean, because if you miss, well, no harm done, but it saves you from having to do a separate roll. And um, there's someone in our Teeman game. um, He's made a macro for his character. Whenever he attacks, Mm -hmm. it's the damage is rolled with the attack simultaneously. And so if the attack doesn't make, it's like, eh, well, you know, just ignore ignore that. Yeah. But if the attack does make, you already know what he did. Uh, I guess Dungeon Crawl Classics sort of does that with the Mighty Deed mechanic, right? Right, which is why it throws me for a loop when it happens in a, in a different game, because I think that's what's happening, cause, just because I've learned to recognize the other thing. But I, I don't care what you roll, when mm-hmm. you roll, as long as it's you know out on the table and fair. The thing about behind the screen... I've rolled, as, as a game master, I've rolled behind the screen for 36 years until the last few weeks. And just experimentally, I decided, what the hell? Let's see what I'm missing. I started rolling my attacks and saves for the monsters out in front of the screen and noticed a marked increase in the drama at the table. I think, so I, I learned a new trick. Yeah. When I've run some games at North Texas, um, I don't... I think the last Holmes game I ran there, I didn't want to bother with the online roller, so I just rolled dice out in front. And I think it it, it leads to tension more because they obviously know he's not going to be fudging. Yep. He can't fudge because we see it. Yep. And you have the gigantic dice anyway. Well, yeah. There's no way to miss those. (laughs) Maybe that was my subconscious need I didn't even understand because I got accused of being a nice guy GM recently. And I'm like, really? Okay. (laughs) And as far as rolling all rolls, or even most rolls, for the players, I think on the whole I've just been really lucky. Because when people have done their thieves, they roll their thief check, if they blow it, 99% 99% of the time, they play like they, you know, well, I didn't find a trap, so let's go. I think I've met a lot of players, though, that would really get, find it very hinky to not get, be able to roll their own, say, attacks or saving throws or skill checks or attribute checks. I just It's one of those, you know, if I'm going to die, let me die by my own hand kind of thing. I totally well, agree. I was going to say, I don't think he says at any point that he should roll attacks for the players, just the saving throws and ability checks. But the logic there is, then why roll the attack? You know, why then are you rolling the attacks rather than, say, saving throws? You know? I do agree that when you're running online, it's probably a lot easier to do it that way. I just, I, I, I don't know, maybe it's just my training prior DMing. I I just don't think I'd be happy doing it. Mm, I think it really only works with the the thief skill of find, remove traps or, say, listen at doors because those are skill checks where you're you're not sure if you've succeeded until you actually open the lock or open the door. Mm -hmm. Um, With other stuff, you know, climb walls, 
you know whether or not you've successfully climbed a wall <laughs> or you've just fallen down on your butt. Yeah. Um, so, I, I think it all falls directly under whatever is okay at your table you guys have fun with because there are players that would complete, strongly object to that, as you pointed out. Mm. And and I uh, most of the players in my personal group uh, and and the group as a whole are perfectly capable of role playing blown checks because they do it all the time and magnificently so. So mm. we don't. Th- I don't need to roll that for them. <laughs> yeah, a lot of times we've had our thieves. You know, we roll to check for a trap. We fail miserably, and he's like, "Well, obviously this isn't trapped. I'll go first, you know, and just yank open the door myself." Yeah. <laughs> I'll stake my reputation. That's There's right. Not a single trap anywhere. I'm here. confident. I checked. I didn't find anything. So. <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for the email, and I think that leaves us to a voicemail, doesn't it? Yes, we do. Let's have a listen. Oh, hey, greetings, fellow sodites. Um, and my question is one that's really meant to invite speculative thought more than like a definitive answer. And that is, um, how does a red dragon fit into a small room filled with gold and jewels? Uh, I'm not trying to sm- sound like a smart Alec, but anyway. And furthermore, why would a party burst through the door? I mean, I don't know about you, but the, the one thing I can say with great certainty is that red dragons have the worst personal hygiene. I mean, that room is smelling like a sulfuric kimchi factory, you know? Um, and that would definitely permeate way beyond the door, you know. And um, I have a final thought, and that is that this might fall coldly and Darwinian, perhaps. But um, that party deserved what they got because, I mean, their first clue should have been that the wallpaper in that area of the dungeon, you know, has been bubbled up. And there happens to be like this giant skunk in the corner just tearing up, right? Yet it has a facial expression that reads of like great respect as if to say, yeah, that's how you do it. Um, Feel free to discuss that. Um, uh, Have a good day or evening or both. Cheers. Thanks. um, Anonymous, was there a name on that? Because he didn't mention it in the recording. Uh, No name in the recording. And the uh, when I ran an extensive online background check for the uh, phone number that it came from, I don't really feel like I should share that information online. Chicago area, we'll say. Okay. I just I made that all up. I didn't do any of that. It did come from Chicago, though. (laughs) (laughs) Well, here's um, a Google Maps satellite view of his house. And here's what they had for dinner yesterday. It's Gamergate. Anyway. Um, but I do have an answer for the voicemail. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, just last week, you know, I was saying, really? Okay. There's no problem with the dragon in a <laughs> small room. In the room. <laughs> it's the save versus death you got the problem with. But I, I do have an answer for it, too. But you go first, Jim. Oh, my answer is that the besides being traditional now, over 100 episodes, that opening is merely a dramatization of the art on the original home's basic D&D set. So, you're, you're sending your email to the wrong guy, you need to get a Ouija board and complain to Gary Gygax, J. Eric Holmes, and um, David Sutherland. Sutherland? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly what I was going to bring up. It's exactly, <laughs> it's exactly that. Great DMs think alike. Ha ha. That's right. And the Holmes, 
Holmes box art cannot be wrong. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> that I dragon do... got in there somehow. <laughs> well, I mean, more seriously, I enjoy the absurdity of it because that's exactly how we played when we first started playing. Yeah, the Gonzo, like the room at Tejel Manor, I always joke about, you know, the small bedroom with a twin bed and underneath it is a purple worm. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> it's, you know, it's just, wow, out there. <laughs> but thanks for the so, voicemail, Mystery Man. Yes. And now we're going to talk taverns uh, in Game On. What are you doing? It's game time. I think I play too much. People say it's weird. We should cut back. That's insane. Game, Mrs. Hudson, is on. Gaming on. Here we are talking about taverns. Have any of you used, and this is a goofy comment to make, I know, but as DMing or as a player, ever dealt with taverns? I've never been in a tavern. <laughs> ever. Ever. <laughs> Time worn cliche or iconic setting? <laughs> it can Pretty. be both. <laughs> All meet at a tavern. Well, I mean, that's, that's not for no reason, though. No, I mean, it's, it's the most iconically common area in medieval-type settings. Um, that's why in England they're called pubs. That's short for public house. I was even thinking of well-supported by Appendix in the literature. I mean, obviously everybody's token in the Prancing Pony, but far beyond that. I mean, Conan did all his winching in taverns. Farfar and the Grey Mouse are met in taverns all the time. Google the Clever got in all his best scrapes trying to flim-flam people in taverns. Quag Keep. There you go. Characters start at a tavern. And let's face it, if you're an adventurer, chances are you are not starting out in the town you grew up in. You're a stranger who's come into this place. You're going to be staying at an inn of, or a public house of some kind. So I, naturally, you're going to be at a tavern getting your food and things. And I know as a, in junior high and high school especially, but in general, it was PCs always not just go to a tavern, but the sleaziest tavern. Because <laughs> yeah. they wanted to get in a fight. I mean, it's kind of the biker bars of the Middle Ages, really. Well, I mean, yeah, it, it, I kind of enjoy the power struggle that happens because the uh, GM is inver- the DM is invariably thinking, okay, this is the ideal place for me to drop all my plot hooks, and the players are always thinking, this is where I can act up because the XPs are free and, you know, there are no yeah. gelatinous cubes here. And, of course, the occasional, the DM is trying to push us, like, you know, there is a hooded and cloaked stranger sitting alone in the corner which is, of course, you're supposed to go over there and ask ask about him. But no, I'm going to go upstairs. I'm going <laughs> to hit on the barmaid. I'm going to punch this guy over here. Dude, I once... Well, that na- guy in the corner obviously wants to be left alone. It would be rude to go over there and bother him. Well, yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> Am I in the tavern? I want to get drunk. Get drunk. <laughs> Roll to see, see if, if I'm, I'm getting, getting drunk. drunk. <laughs> I actually named a tavern in one of my campaigns, The Plot and Crook. 
like, oh, let's don't hide it. Let's not disguise it. Let's just put it out there. <laughs> yeah, when I was working on my first graduate degree on medieval history, I uh, found it very interesting that, you know, the iconic fantasy medieval dish tavern that we have in our minds from D&D and fantasy genre really wasn't how they were. Go 95, on. 95%. I know. I know. Shocking, isn't it? But 95% of the time, it was basically someone, usually a widow, opening up their home and basically serving beer and whatnot you know, as a way to earn money because they're a widow or whatever. That makes perfect sense because you occasionally see people on Facebook that go to England talk about these pubs where Tolkien and his C.S. Lewis hung out. That's what it looks like. It looks like a little storefront built in the front of an old house. Yeah, a little kind of hole-in-the-wall place. And I think that would change the dynamic a lot a lot if you were going to play it that way because obviously that isn't how 99% of all taverns in middle ages fantasy games are portrayed. So, why, why a tavern? What's it for? Well, it's apparently, and, you know, it's a time-honored shtick for introducing disparate characters to each other to make the party to begin with. Because let's face it, most of the time, everybody gets characters that are just radically, you know, how are all these people in the same party? It doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, they're not going to meet at Sunday school class at the Temple of Athena. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. What do you do? I'm an assassin. <laughs> <laughs> we grew up together. We went to the same school. <laughs> well, I mean, that's how Dragonlance started, you know. They're yeah. all from the same town, more or less, and that's how they all got together. But most uh, players don't want to do that. They all want to be the black-clad, gritty loner. Just, <laughs> Just like everyone every- else. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait. I've got it in my head. Leaning in the corner with the hood pulled down of her eyes, smoking that's a pipe. right. In in what ben, my friend Ben calls the D and D's booth, which is always the one in the back corner, with against the wall, and you can see all the entrances and exits. <laughs> oh oh, make your tavern a circular room. <laughs> Watch your players' heads explode as That's... they try to find a defensible location to seat themselves at. <laughs> That's not only genius. If my memory serves me, that was the shape of the cantina in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of a little dome sort of building, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, make your tavern a circle. <laughs> And that's why Solo got ambushed by Greedo, see? If he'd been <laughs> in the back corner, he would have seen him coming in. Dude, I, yeah. it, has anybody played Red Dragon Inn? No. Mm-mm. Oh, my God. It's a board game, but I am next medieval fantasy campaign I'm running, as soon as the adventure ends and everybody gathers back at the tavern, I'm just shoving the D&D books to one side and busting out Red Dragon Inn. It's a little simple card mechanic board game that's theme is... This is what the adventurers do after the tavern. The whole point of the game is to try and drink each other under the table. I read um, back when I was doing layout and stuff for Crusader Magazine, I believe Jim Ward did a really good review of that game. It's kind of like a little border card sort of game, right? Yeah, but it's got very funky, uh, if you ever played Cosmic Encounters, it has that kind Mm -hmm. of play style where just outrageous things happen and it's a lot of fun and you could like and rather than role play it, you could role play it and board game it. Mm-hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, but I remember reading his review when I was setting up the magazine issue. It's like, you know, this sounds really cool. <laughs> I mean, all that history stuff you just talked about with the widows and stuff, this is the dead opposite of that. This is like a it, this is exactly what adventure in D&D would do. Verisimilitude. <laughs> I want to drink all my buddies under the table and steal their gold that they just came back from the dungeon with. And and or start a bar fight. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, whenever a party's looking to get hirelings, where do they go? The tavern. Right on. Because usually they have, you know, some sort of board or post or something that everybody puts up at. You know, the help wanted section of town <laughs> is on the tavern. <laughs> this is the unemployment office. Talented locksmith looking for adventuring party. <laughs> what was that thing we reviewed back episodes ago where the tavern was actually – because – what made me think about this is, okay, if it's a cliche, how can you keep it from being a cliche for your players right now today? And we re- we reviewed something. Was it Peter Spawn's adventure where the tavern was a, a a devil from the abyss on the run masquerading as a human being, and he had the fireplace in a tavern set up as a portal to hell, and they were chucking empties into the fireplace? Maybe. Like uh, Inn of Lost Heroes? Was that it? Could be. There was one where, yeah, the tavern was the dungeon. There is another adventure like that that I just recently looked over, um, and it's a free download from Dragon's Foot called, um, oh, let's see, The Tavern of Deednu, and um, it's written by the Oliver Brothers. I'm not sure who the Oliver Brothers are, but it's a pretty good adventure, um, and the whole point of it is the tavern. Um, technically, it's for AD&D, but you could very easily... You know, do it for basic expert taco. taco. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that was another really good one that um, I haven't had a chance to actually do anything with it yet because I only just downloaded it and read it, you know, about a week ago. But it is super cool. You should check that out. Although talking about iconic gaming taverns, there is a book called Villains by Necessity written by Eve Forward. Mm-hmm. Where the main characters are basically good has triumphed. The problem is it's going to eventually the she doesn't call it the the positive material plane, but basically the world is becoming too bright, too light. It's eventually going to be destroyed by being absorbed into the light to the that dimension of positive. So you've got this rugged band of evil people. Or at least really bad people, um, an assassin, a thief, a obviously supposed to be a drow sorceress, an anti-paladin, and you know they're all basically trying. It, it basically puts the quest thing on its head, and they're traveling all around the the realms, various kingdoms, trying to get information to try to reopen the ne- what amounts to the negative material plane to start putting stuff in the world and thus return balance. Oh, yeah, druids with them, too. I was going to say, wasn't the druid the one that got them all together to begin with? the the Hierophant druid-ish type chick got them all together. But uh, anyway... That makes Michael Moorcock sound subtle. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's funny, though, because they work in a lot of jokes. Um, At one point, the assassin is punches out the... or punches the uh, sorceress and grabs her raven familiar... And puts his knife to the familiar's throat and says, one move and the familiar gets it. Uh, the joke from the Dungeon Master's Guide. Yeah. But anyway, regarding taverns, 
everywhere they go, no matter what kingdom or realm or barony or whatnot, they, whenever it says they're going to a tavern, it says they go into the frothing otter. It's like it's a chain. Every single tavern is called the Frothing Otter. So it's like Hooters. There's one in every town. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And I, I think she was making the joke of no matter where you go, the DM always pretty much describes the tavern the same way. One of the good functions of taverns is is a gold sink. I mean, I, 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 I'll ask you guys, but I'm sure you've had this, the same experience. As soon as you raise anything above the price of a single gold piece, like... Are there any rooms? Sure. Go piece a piece. The players will camp a mile outside the city wall before they'll pay that <laughs> one gold piece per night to stay in the tavern. It's like, uh, guys, we just got out of that last dungeon with over a thousand gold. I don't care. This is highway robbery. That's right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, um, I, I've had a few players who will do that. And then, but that's what we'll, Midnight Wandering Encounters are for. <laughs> You generally don't get attacked by trolls in a tavern. Generally. No, that's Umber Hulks, apparently. <laughs> well, unless you go back in the kitchen. Well, yeah. But yeah, it's, it, there, there is the gold sink. And even beyond that, it's a great time to have par- characters' uh, pickets po- po- that pickets popped. Pocked. <laughs> pockets picked. <laughs> break into their rooms. You know, that sort of thing, which is also another gold sink. Um, although if they're bards, it's usually irritating because um, generally to them, taverns are ways to make money. You're just anti-bard. I am. I'm anti-bard. I mean, you want to, in general, have your campaign run to the taste of the particular players you have at your table. But a tavern, that all seems to get more focused. Because, I mean, there are lots of things that could happen in a tavern that maybe you don't want to do with a particular group of players. What's making me think that is I just remember we we were rather roguish as young men, so there was a lot of, you know, things you wouldn't do in a tavern if there were children at the table. Yeah. Yeah. Like rumor tables. <laughs> <laughs> yes, no children will be admitted into the gaming room during the rumor table session. <laughs> but how else are you going to get rumors except in a place like a tavern? I mean, you might could work something out, but it, it's it's just ubiquitous. If you want to learn rumors, go to the local tavern, spend a lot of gold, especially buying every the you know buy everyone drinks move. Hooray! Hooray! I like the idea too. Of, usually, when the player characters, your group, are coming back from the dungeon, they're feeling like kings of the world, and it, I, I enjoy peppering a tavern with higher level adventurers. The not all of them, just some. So that if they decide to pick a fight, sometimes it doesn't go their way. Oh, yeah. Um, one of the uh, shops I submitted to um, Janelle Jakeways for the Cities 8 book, which unfortunately seems to be in limbo at this point, but it was a tavern run by a halfling former adventurer who has um, a girdle of giant strength on that he wears underneath while he's working the tavern. Because so, you know you're going to have the PCs who go, uh, I'm going to get some beer and I'm going to pay the little pipsqueak. What's he going to do? Uh, throw you out out the chimney. That's what he's going to do. Oh, I thought you just reminded me of a joke. Okay, you ready for a joke? Hmm. A magic user, a fighter, and a cleric walk into a bar. The halfling walks under it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I'll be here all week. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't forget to tip <laughs> your DM on the but way I'm out. Jing. Yes. So yeah, I mean, there's there's nothing that says that the bar, the owner of the tavern, or the barmaid, or any of the staff there have to be the zero level, one to four hit points. Well, there's absolutely a bouncer in there somewhere who's not level zero. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's got to be. Otherwise, you know, especially if they're, you know, an area that's frequented by lots of parties. Uh, other rival parties can be in the tavern. So if the player characters start causing trouble, they might go, well, we're going to throw them out and earn some brownie points with the tavern owner. Maybe we'll get free free night or free drinks or something. Oh, or vice versa. I forgot about that. Taverns are good for doing the Wild West thing, where they're just going to a tavern to get their rumors and stuff, and there's the big bad they've been campaigning against over and over. He's just kicked back having a drink, and you get the whole yep. Clint Eastwood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what are you going to do? Just lunge in and attack? Maybe, but maybe not. Especially if you're lawful, they've got lots of innocent bystanders. Mm-hmm. Or turn the rumor table on its ear, and... Say you've got that rival adventuring party already in the tavern, and you notice they're trying to ply you with drinks and find out stuff you know. <laughs> Very true. And sooner or later, they've got to go to the to the outhouse. And that's another good time for ambushes, too. Unless the whole party goes, which would be... Amusing all by itself. Because <laughs> now see, forget about the bed. The outhouse is where you should park the purple worm. <laughs> yes. Right, right yeah. underneath that outhouse. Surprise! <laughs> Tentacular goodness. Uh, no. <laughs> so anyway, when you're when you're running a game and you need a tavern, what what do you do? Is there any like rules of the road you follow that? Okay, they've entered village X, and they're looking for a tavern. Well, here's a tavern. How do you fill it out? Well, ladies first. You, you can always grab stuff from other modules um, and just have them on hand. There is a free tavern floor plan um, for a sample tavern called the Silver Harp, which you can, of course, rename as you want. Um, but it's from a now apparently defunct blog called Beneath the Screen. And it's a blog spot blog. I can give you guys the link to it, but one of the posts is basically, the post itself is called Use This Tavern. And he gives you a little tavern, little map, brief description, a menu for the tavern, and, you know, basically it's he says, if you don't have time to make up a tavern and you need one on the fly, use this one. So... Yeah, there's a there's a random tavern generator on the net too that will basically come up with a floor plan um a specialty dish etc etc the one i found will do the whole menu for you yeah which by the way is another good way of of making a tavern memorable remember that one liz when we were playing in uh tucson Oh, the one like with the, Avis's game? the potato <laughs> yes it's like we went into this village and went to the tavern Everything was a potato dish. That's and awesome. The, the town different was potato known dishes. for growing potato fantastic dishes. potatoes, and they were very, very proud of their potatoes. <laughs> potato beer. Very proud. <laughs> Is there anything that doesn't have potatoes? Well, the leek soup. 
<laughs> it's got a little potato in it. Yes. Why would you want something that doesn't have potato in it? I'm just asking. I, now, I like potatoes. Yeah, we were <laughs> asking about some slavers and you know that we thought we had identified and the the tavern keepers going, Oh yes, I think we've seen those people. They didn't care for our potatoes. Yes. We knew they were a bad <laughs> sort. They're like, okay. <laughs> Well, that was how I was going to answer your question. I mean, back in the day, we used our imaginations and tried real hard to not just do some obvious transparent variation of the prancing pony for a name. But uh, then later, after uh, we'd been playing a while, products like we're going to review today started coming out that gave you little sample taverns and sample denizens. But in 2015, it's all online. I found one that you can pre-select what part of town it's in and who the main body of patrons are. You want the poor section of town, an adventurer's bar, you set the settings, and it gives you the whole menu, NPCs, a name. Uh, the one I just pulled up is the Drunken Harlequin. <laughs> it's a, in a poor section of town, and the main dish on the menu is barley porridge and a mug of perry. Four copper pieces. Woohoo! Of course, and this probably goes without saying, is a lot of these generators and or free things, you know, the 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 economics of it is going to vary widely. So you'll need to, you know, fit it into your campaign. Just like do you really for instance that, you know, if you've got a high gold campaign, you'll probably want to jack up the price of that poor meal, you know, maybe to a silver or something. Oh, Liz, this website even does the rumor table per bar. All right. Just give me a number between one and eight. Um, five. The cat at the Jester's Lodge is actually a polymorphed wizard. I knew it! <laughs> Let's kill him. <laughs> so, in 2015, use the internet. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. Um, one way I learned for a while to specialize my taverns is and i freely stole it from a guy named kevin who basically when they came when we came to a tavern he would roll a random you know wandering monsters from the monster manual and then it would be called the happy whatever he rolled the happy Atyug. yep mm -hmm. the happy intellect devourer <laughs> the happy goblin i think the one players most remembered that I used was the Happy Elf. And it was uh, in a port town called Haven that, and in my world, humans and elves really don't get along. You know, there, there's a lot of racism there. And they had, on the Happy Elf, the sign was an elf skull. See? He's smiling. <laughs> <laughs> However, the, the elf and half-elf party members were not impressed. Were they, Liz? Mm, no. <laughs> the food wasn't very good either. <laughs> so, do we want to go to this bar called the Clan Concave? No, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, and here's me working a little more history into it. A lot of uh, earlier ta medieval taverns, just a little factoid people might find interesting, a lot of them got their names from the coats of arms of local nobility that would frequent them. So, you know, a, a, a noble with a wolf and a spear on his shield, you know, on his coat of arms, you know, the local tavern would be called the wolf and spear. Look at you and your history 
degree, sir. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah, you're like the school. You're the schoolhouse rock of DMs. <laughs> Learning is power. <laughs> now, quick, sing a little song. Cavern taverns, what's your tavern? <laughs> I'm just looking up rumors and hirelings <laughs> and melees. <laughs> okay, stop. <laughs> Okay, that's enough. See that? Don't do that. <laughs> I know I told you to do that. Well, don't do don't that. Don't do that. <laughs> Ever. So anyway. So um, you've done different... Uh, and one advantage to us doing the medieval reenactment thing is... And Liz being a cooking nut, she's cooked a lot of medieval dishes for various events and feasts and stuff. So it's really easy for me to just pull on that memory to a, for a specialty dish. Like... Scottish eggs. Oh, I love Scottish eggs. I adore that. They are. The, the, uh, when she first made them, I, I called them the medieval egg McMuffin. I tell you, when I go to Ren Faire, I can't get past a turkey leg because that's, that's like a week supply of meat on a stick. Yeah. It's like, wow. Yeah. Give me that. I don't care how much. Give me that. <laughs> Whenever Liz makes a, cooks a turkey for dinner, it's like, okay, she knows very well the two legs are set aside for Mike. Yes, Mikey is. gets the turkey legs. <laughs> Yar. I need to see a picture of you in medieval reenactment, Liz, because it, the, the, the pointy hats that have two points, that would go great with you. Yeah. <laughs> I was say, I, there's, there's a couple of pictures on my Facebook page in my photo album that's got me and Mike in, in garb in one of the events. Um, but I'll try and find some some others and scan them in or something. I've also got a little picture of when Mike and I had our medieval wedding ceremony, the one that we had before our quote-unquote real one where we got the license and everything. And we did that in garb with some of our friends in Tucson. And wow, we look young. I'm looking at the picture right now. It's like, gosh. (laughs) The only way it could have been better is if you'd had it in a tavern. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Speaking of in a tavern, again, getting back to topic. Yes, we drift a bit, guys. Yes, Ga- taverns. Yeah, we're gamers. We, we do that. Oh, hang Something on. Something you could have in a tavern, have a you, wedding. <laughs> have you been reading uh, Technar's Tavern lately? Speaking of taverns. um, I try to get on there every so I often. I can't. I can't anymore. He has so blinged it up with graphics and buttons and stuff oh, it messes with crashes your reader. my screen reader every time I try to load onto it, so I don't read it anymore. This past week, he posted this fantastic rant that I don't think was aimed at us in any way about things and podcasts that will cause him to stop following the podcast, so I just, you know, the Scott Irish in me feels obligated to spend a few moments in uh, uncomfortable silence and end it with a belch. <laughs> just, just, just for Eric. <laughs> no, let's don't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe a little could be on the outtakes at the end. <laughs> Maybe a little kobold belch. <laughs> Wait, you got us back on track, and I just ranked us off again. So. You did. You did. It's amazing. <laughs> it's our so, superpower. How often do you start a campaign in a tavern? Um, I gotta say, it's probably at least half and half. I I maybe rely on the tavern shtick a little bit more than I should. I'll I'll say it's at least 50% of the time. It may even be more than that. Do you think it's less likely, say, in the past 10 to 20 years than it was, say, in the late 70s and 80s? Hmm. 
It's surely worse <laughs> now because the M morgues all have taverns. There's <laughs> um, the awkward silence. <laughs> it's a thoughtful silence. Like, oh, okay. Just imagine me stroking my chin thoughtfully with my with my fingers and thumbs, like looking off into the distance with a sort of appraising stare. It's like, hmm. It's like if I had a pipe, you know, I could be just thoughtfully holding the pipe. Um, in the corner with the in room. The corner <laughs> with a cloak of, on. Yes. In the corner of the round room. <laughs> um yeah, I guess maybe a little bit less now. Um, I'm sure at the very beginning, almost always starting in the tavern. <laughs> Although I think the very, very beginning, when I was, you know, just starting out with friends and cousins that I corralled into doing this with me, um, I'm not even sure I even started in a tavern. I just started did, at the opening of the tunnel. It's like, yeah. We're all together. Everybody knows each other, and we're getting ready to go in there. You know, it's like okay, you know. <laughs> so yeah, in the very beginning, I didn't even try to have a realistic setup of people meeting and stuff. It's like we're we're starting right here, and we're going. You know. <laughs> yeah, I've I've kind of soured on the tavern as start point as I've gotten older. Maybe it's because I'm just less tolerant or i have less time to game <laughs> but now it's, it's just too much too easier to go okay you guys already know each other you met on a caravan on the way up here now well, we're not going to spend four hours trying to introduce each other that makes sense to me because i know what not to do and that's one of the not to do's is get a group of new players together at your real table and say okay you all meet at the tavern now introduce yourselves to each other because that's <laughs> always awkward mm-hmm now, you can do an introduction via a tavern if you have an established group and a new player is joining. Oh, yeah. You know, that's, that a, that's an easy way to you know, get the group you know, meeting the new person. And not so, it's, you're not going to have five hours of everyone who's like, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with these people. <laughs> Taverns are a great yeah. stall tactic if you don't have anything... If they've run through everything you have, put put them in the tavern and just wait for somebody to act up until <laughs> until you can go home and write the next adventure. Yeah. Or, as mentioned earlier, the aforementioned bar fight. Yeah. Have some drunk guy, you know, hit on one of the characters and then get insulted and then, you know, oh, then how? the man at the back says everyone attack, turn it into a ballroom blitz. <laughs> How have we not talked about gambling so far? Because there's a great tavern-based gold sink right there. Get your, get oh, your, yeah. get your players gambling. Because that's going to end in a fight, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. And especially if you go in there and it's like that particular evening is the, you know, you know how bars nowadays will have, you know, Thursday night is, you know, dart competition, you know. You could have something like that going on in your tavern. It's like the <laughs> evening that you all go in there, that's when everyone in the town is getting together and they're competing with each other with, you know, whatever card game or et cetera. It's Odin Day dwarf throwing contest and you brought one. Great. All right. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. BYOD, bring your dwarf. Beyond. <laughs> And, of course, there's the always, you're not from around here, so how dare you <laughs> accuse Bob over here of being a cheater? Yes. Well, Bob is a cheater. Doesn't matter. They're not from around here. They don't get to call him a cheater. 
Or if you're not from around here, and so since you won, you You've are obviously cheating. cheating. <laughs> exactly. We don't take kindly to strangers coming in here and winning our dart competitions. Yeah, you know what we do to strangers winning our darts, don't you? Kill them and eat them! Shut up, Earl. <laughs> well, uh, you've got in the show notes under random encounters that we talk about our actual tavern settings we've created. Are we in that section yet? Oops. <laughs> no, I, I don't mean it in a bad way. I just in our in our original D and D campaign when we hit the ten twelve level thing and it's normal people would have started to retire their characters. We just sank our gold into businesses and then kept playing. And one of them, uh, I played a magic user who was best friends with this halfling, and we created our own tavern. And what made me think about it was the contest we're talking about because we built our tavern. It was for adventurers only, so it was built in the ruins of the undercity, like a couple of levels down from the actual town. Yeah. And uh, one of ours was the Kill the Puppy contest. I w we found a uh, brontosaurus that I successfully polymorphed into a puppy, and we kept the little puppy oh, yeah, you said that. <laughs> on a chain in the bar, and it was 100 gold a whack if you could kill him because the thing had, like, you know, hundreds of hit points, and you couldn't kill it. There was also a Umber Hulk chained to the wall that you could wrestle for money. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's another thing a lot of taverns can have is usually the you know the pseudo gladiatorial fight you know with a lot of people going eh, and you can win x amount of gold so i guess that kind of falls under gambling really even if you're the yeah. one fighting i want to say you need to be up on your wrestling and grappling rules but it always breaks out into spells and weapons anyway so no matter what you do so really not yeah <laughs> especially when the you tell the GM or the DM, I want to wrestle. Oh, please don't wrestle. <laughs> Got to get the graveling rules out. <laughs> Forget it. He throws a fireball at you. <laughs> that takes care. But yeah, since we're talking about uh, our most memorable taverns, uh, do you have one that sticks in your mind, Liz? Well, um, I love the taverns that come in the in one against the cult of the reptile god adventure you've got these two inns in the town and one of the inns is a nice safe one to be at and the other inn is actually a hotbed of evil cultists um now we're talking unfortunately it's i bet those guys know how to party yeah, I bet, I bet they do. They do. They, <laughs> um, Thursday night is cult night at the tavern. That's right. <laughs> now, which one do you think is the evil cultist tavern? We have the Golden Grain Inn, which is very, very nice, high-end stuff, gorgeous place. Spoilers. And <laughs> a little down the road, hey, we've already covered in one. <laughs> no, we haven't because it's uh, it's AD and D. Well, I'm pretty sure we talked about in one, but anyway. Well, cover it again. Anyway. Okay. And then we have a little further down the road, kind of a rundown sort of place. Doesn't look as nice. The end of the slumbering serpent. Which tavern are you going to stay at? See, if, if you were the DM and I was the player, you have just totally mind-screwed me. Because asking the question makes me think, okay, it can't be the obvious one. It must be the other one. Ah, or is which, it? which one do you think it is? <laughs> You've made the classic blunder. I'm going to go with A. So, the, A is the, the grainy one. The grainy one. Is that, it the one you'd stay at? Or the one with the cultists? 
the, the cultists are in the good sounding one with the green in the name because it's a yes because it's a big front. Yep. That's <laughs> right. Yes, the Golden Grain Inn is the hotbed of evil cultists. But but yeah, it, the I mean you've got you've got all this stuff going on, but. The, the two inns, they've got some great floor plans. There's all kinds of intrigue and stuff that goes on when you're at the Golden Grain Inn. And, you know, quite frankly, most adventurers are going to want to stay at the nice place anyway. However, naming the not-so-nice place Inn of the Slumbering Serpent when the module is called Against the Cult of the Reptile God, you know, it's tricky. It's yeah. It it kind of your 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 smart players are going to think you're trying to trick me. I'm going to stay at the end of the slumbering serpent, and you know it. I think it would be better if you renamed that in and make them both sound innocuous. Slumbering warthog or something. Yeah, you know the 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 the, the sleeping dog or something. I don't know, but mm-hmm. hang like, on. I, I got I got this. I got the website right here. Let's see. The Stone Nobleman Guest House, or the Jovial Hunter Hall. Oh, Angry Beggar Lodge. There you go. Angry Beggar! <laughs> the Angry Beggar. Give me some money, please. Cover charge? It's that little man at the door with the bowl. <laughs> yeah, I've both run and I've played in Cult of the Reptile God, and it's there's like, the taverns are awesome. I love those taverns. Um but the one that I mentioned earlier that I just downloaded, the Tavern of Deadnu, I have not had a chance to run or play it yet. But I'm I kind of think that if I once I do, that might become my favorite tavern setting. Um, it is just it's awesome. It's a great idea, and you could use it either as a one shot or it could be the introduction to a big spanning campaign as. You know, your players, if they survive, um, manage to get out of there. And, you know, as they get more powerful, you know, they're thinking, one of these days, we're going to find that place again. And we're going to make it, we're going to make it right. (laughs) Okay, for the list of things we're going to do after you finally get your degree, you run us through a campaign. It's got to go on that list. (laughs) Um, Yeah, sounds good. It'll be Holmes, of course. But yeah. of course, nobody read the Tavern of Dead New. <laughs> so I mean, I can't put it in the show notes. Oh, all right, you can. You can read it. <laughs> well, I was kind of torn for about my favorite tavern. Um, I like the Happy Elf, of course, as I noted earlier. But I've always liked the taverns in City State of the Invincible Overlord. If I was going to run a I guess I guess the only way you could call it is a high magic campaign where you go into a tavern and there's a goblin at the bar or you know you could just say judges guild <laughs> that would mean yeah, the same judges thing yeah judges guild period yeah <laughs> that cat in the uh, corner he's a demigod yeah although I tend to as people probably realize I like to run my stuff a little closer to medieval history than than probably the standard gaming supplement goes there's just something you know especially in mazes and perils the novel uh mazes of maze of peril that's it (laughs) by j eric holmes (laughs) where yeah you go into the tavern there's like a centaur there's a lizard man there's just you know just wandering around there's something kind of cool about that 
So I'd be torn between the two, I guess. Whiskery and, <laughs> and Gonzo. We had a guy who played a lizard man in our original campaign, and he would come in the tavern, he'd kick the door open and go, where are the white women? <laughs> oh, no, no, no. <laughs> I swear to God. Bob Fields, if you're listening, your character is still remembered. <laughs> Somebody watched Blazing Saddles. <laughs> yes. Ah. All right, well, to speak about taverns before we move into products. I can't think of anything else to derail the conversation. Sorry. <laughs> In new Dungeons and Dragons, power is won by finding new ways to battle. I can feel the darkness inside me. And being completely dragon-flapping awesome. <laughs> Set comes with spellbook, ritual rites, playboard, sacrificial dagger, and dice, dice, dice. <laughs> Our hobbies, and Dragons Games, products of your imagination. And to just for Liz, I am not going to say Poyi. Except you just you did. did. <laughs> no, I didn't. I referenced it. See, totally different. Well played, sir. I can edit that out if it's uh, worth a little something to you. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Well, I'll let Mike have his moment. We're talking about AC1 Shady Dragon Inn. 1983 by Carl Smith. Which unfortunately is not one of the PDFs that Wizards has released uh, along with the other classic stuff, although you can find it on eBay all over the place for like 20, 25 bucks. Yeah, it's, it's not that expensive, although it is only 32 pages. The interior cover, though, like a module, isn't connected, and one of the bennies of it is it folds out into a five-foot um, square scaled tavern floor plan you can put minis on, which is kind of cool. It's awesome. Uh, in fact, I um, I la- had ours laminated, so if necessary, we could dry erase, you know, draw here and there if necessary on it while needing a tavern. That's uh-huh. pretty cool. Yeah. Now, I'll admit, when I saw this, and this just shows my my crotchetiness, I suppose. My first thought was thousand and one characters from Traveler. Is it's just going to be a l- bunch list of statistics, and that's it. Well, kind of like for D anD D, the Rogues Gallery was, which yeah, came, which was what I I grew up with before this came before the Shady Dragon Inn came out. I was gratified to see though that they not only provide stats but physical appearance and a and a very short back biography i guess and personality description of them some nice you, jim holloway art yeah and you got around 20 20 to 25 odd fighters magic users clerics thieves and then like 10 or 10 to 12 dwarves elves and halflings which is kind of cool <laughs> and a lot of these will work just as much just as well as quickie you know, characters for people to get into a game as, you know, hirelings or encounters, which is pretty cool. Theoretically, stats for Luke Gygax's character, Melf the Elf, although they are not written as such. Really? He's in there? Well, they've got the section in the back of special characters with stats for the action figures that were released at the time, one mm-hmm. of which was originally named Melf on the packaging, and then they changed it to Pair of Light. I did not know that. That's pretty cool. So yeah, if you are a collector of the D&D action figures from the 80s, 
they give stats on them all in the back too. Although, as I think I mentioned earlier, they've got the half-orc assassin, which technically is not basic mm-hmm. expert. I mean, you could winkle it in under a, as a original D&D, but, but technically it's AD&D. But, you know, taco. Another thing I really liked about it is the characters aren't min-maxed. And I say that by noting there are, say, some magic... U- There's a magic user in there. It's something the Serpent. I can't remember his exact name. But he has a 16 strength and 11 intelligence. <laughs> but that's part of his personality. <laughs> that's awesome. I and want to be a magic user. I want to user. be a magic user. See, but that would totally happen in real life. A player who's hell-bent on being a magic user rolls that way and goes, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. I want to be a magic user. Yeah. <laughs> Since there are no attribute minimums, so why not? Mike had a character that was kind of the reverse. Um, Roderick? Yeah, Roderick. He was a magic user, and that was his high stat, but he really, really wanted to be a fighter. And so he tried very hard to attack things with a weapon before he would finally he had a sword grudgingly use magic. That he took neg four penalties on using. He wore quote unquote leather armor, which really wasn't armor. It just looked that way. He had a ring of protection on, but that was it. And he would the party had to literally beg him to use spells because he always wanted to try to fight the creatures first. So in contrast to the reasonably statted characters in this uh Shady Dragon Inn. He was a little out there. (laughs) A little, yeah. Good stuff. They have parties in the back, too. As well as some information on the the inn itself as an adventuring location, like we said earlier. If you really wanted to use it for that. And you know how I love NPC adventurer parties for the regular party to run into. Although there is a little reprinting of data from the prior stats reprinted into the you know basically assembling them into parties but that's not a big deal i mean it's more for convenience of reference i think keep you from having to flip back and forth in the book well i mean if you're running basic D, this would be a handy little thing to have not just for the tavern itself but for those many occasions when you need i mean one of my favorite monsters in a dungeon is another party of characters well this is a whole booklet of them mm-hmm. you don't have to roll up or give spells to or any of that crap yeah, yeah just, just pick the level range you want and go. Although I will say, there were like some, there was like a 10th level magic user in there who had like a wand of illusion and a plus one dagger. Don't need anything else. <laughs> but how many 10th level magic users have you seen that only have those magic items? But the wand of illusion one gives or you, two. the wand of illusion gives you every other magic item. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean yeah, they, they, they seem kind of light on the magic which is ironic because if I generally have a complaint about most classic is if they tend to go the other extreme well, they all probably, especially when it comes to gold they all probably know they're NPCs and they're not going to go to a tavern with all their good stuff because they're just going to get killed and looted <laughs> <laughs> no man I can't do that I'm only an NPC <laughs> or like in I better the city- leave this at home <laughs> Or like in the city-state where if you wore plate mail but weren't high enough level to wear it by the opinion of this gang, they would like catch low-level characters and 
rip off the plate mail and paint them yellow, which always struck me as kind of fun. But then City State was weird that way. How can you tell the level of a character? You know, do you have like a level detector? I, anyway. Oh, come on, Mike. This is old school. You pick up a stick, take a swing at the guy, and see what you need to roll to hit him, and you'll figure it out. Like, holy crap. I rolled a 19. You missed. Okay, we're gone. We're done. <laughs> okay, so that's content. Let's go to you guys for the format and art. Ah, oh, well, the Jim Holloway art is is very nice. Um, all kinds of good stuff. Um, wasn't really familiar with um, the cover artist, although I do like the the cover art. You know, you've got this group of adventurers, apparently all crowded around this tiny little table. <laughs> it almost <laughs> looks like, you know, there's four standing in the background, and then you've got three people sitting in the foreground. And it almost looks like the four people standing are trying to, you know, muscle in on the three that the table is like, hey, you know. No, it's a table too long. Dude, you haven't it, ordered anything. Dude, it's totally the D&D equivalent of the painting with the dogs playing poker. <laughs> I mean, they are, they are, they, they don't look like they're doing much, but they are focused on it. <laughs> different artists have different styles, but this is like really well suited for Jim Holloway because where he always excels is the interplay of expressions. Like if there's some emotional thing, like somebody's uh, spell backfires causing some guy's head to turn into a chicken, that's a great uh, illustration opportunity for Jim Holloway's talent. So if you're going to like do an illustration that's basically, okay, here's, I mean, like if I was, if you told me, okay, I need 20 fighters all standing together in a group, I'd have to get miniatures out and basically draw the miniatures. I couldn't come up with 20 sets of separate personalities, separate armors and stuff like that. And Jim Holloway's great at that. Did he do the uh, cartography on the tavern lord i hope not because yeah. i mean it's great for functionality like you were talking about earlier it's great but it's you know just very simple line art and the format is acceptable liz more or less i mean these days that type's a little tiny but it's fine for most yeah people. you know and it's like i'm kind of old and i actually need to wear reading glasses occasionally now so it's like well it's a bit small for me but you know 20 years ago, you know, I would have breezed through this no problem. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, yeah, and that's something we'll say. I mean, it's it's got really good usability, but there's nothing here that's going to knock your socks off. Nah. I mean, it's, you know, your standard three-column text. You've got some... You know, justified got the, copy, thank you. Yes, and and they justify it well too. You know, sometimes when you have you know full justification, you've got what's called these rivers, you know, going through the paragraph where you've got these huge spaces between words, and it just makes this weird little thing going through your block of text. Mm-hmm. You know, they've done you know sufficient you know kerning and stuff, so you don't really have that. Um, it's it's hard to do full justification. And still three columns. Nice, you know. The more it's three columned. columned. Yeah, the more yeah. columns you have, the trickier that gets. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they did a very good job with the full justification, you know. And you know, granted, most people are not going to pay that much attention to that. But you know, once you get to be where you're kind of a type geek, you know, it's like, wow, this this must have been hard. <laughs> <You know? laughs> so yeah, and also. You know, as you may have noticed, you know, each of the sections, you've got the 
characters and they have numbers next to them. And not only do you have the big grouping of illustration, you know, clerics, you know, there's like 20 people in this group photo, quote unquote, but you've also got a little tiny version that just has the outlines and each outline has the number. So say if you're looking at number 43, Ambrose the Kilt, you can see exactly where he is in that group picture. It's like, ah, that's what he looks like. Okay. And so that's pretty cool. A way of providing what amounts to a picture for each entry without having literally a picture at each entry. Yeah. You know, you've got the group and you can sufficiently see everyone, you know, enough to be able to, you know, get a good idea of what they're like. Here's here's a little bit of art trivia. The art through almost all of it is by Jim Holloway, except for the special characters who were based on the action figures, like we were saying, where they just reprinted the action figure blister card art, but it's signed. So Mm -hmm. I now know that that blister card art for the toys was done by Tim Truman, uh, Jeff Easley, and Larry Elmore. Cool. So if anybody was dying to know that, there's your answer. Yes. (laughs) Both, I mean, spoiler both, alert, the, uh, the girl was done by Elmore, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> it's got that Elmore face. I know that face. Yep. The heart-shaped face, somewhat anime face, yeah. Mm-hmm. For those uh, newer members of the OSR, a lot of y'all will probably be thinking, well, you know, I could just go to a random character generator online and get as many extra characters as I need. Quite true. Quite true. They turn out uh, weird, though, a lot of times. I yes, mean, there are some they can. Good, there are some good generators out there, but sometimes you get some and you have the elven lumberjack. Very true. <laughs> but back in the day, you know, unless you're going to sit down and roll them up yourself, this was a great way of getting them. And, you know, you don't even have to spend a lot of time on personality or anything because it's all here. I actually did that a few conventions ago because it was for the game I'm writing, so there's no online help for me. And I was headed to a convention, and I had to roll up like 20 first-level characters. I've forgotten what a pain in the ass that is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those, those, of, the, of the 20, the last like six or seven, they got no equipment. <laughs> I was tired. Yeah, I was about to say, and it's usually the equipment. It's, you know, the stats are just, you know... Mechanic numbers, boom, boom, boom. After I got past but, 10 characters, everybody got flint daggers. Yeah. <laughs> Work with a pie, pretty much. So, what kind of numbers are we going to give it, Jim? Oh, we're doing dragons on the Shady Dragon Inn. You know... Shady ones. I have to try and overcome my uh, glasses from the time, because this is something I never would have bought when it was actually published. And, in fact, I didn't. Um I didn't either, but that was more because I could. I didn't hear about it and couldn't probably couldn't have afforded it. But so I'll 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 do what you guys did last episode. I'll go three point five. I mean, it's it's got good information and decent layout and art. Okay, and, and it's collectible. It is collectible, yeah. Unless you laminate the exterior cardboard like Liz and I did for <laughs> ours, in which case it's more functional, but it. Damages collectability. To be fair, our copy was pretty beat up, so we figured it's not going to hurt it that much for us to go ahead and laminate this. Yeah, I did it with my old uh, Sutherland uh, first edition DM screen, too. I had it laminated because it was so beat up. Dude, you you take that and inscribe on it somewhere that it belongs to the Savored Eye 
podcast hosts Mike and Liz Stewart, and I'll take it to you know GaryCon auction and get a hundred bucks for it. So that is collect. That's more collectible. <laughs> no way. We ought to do that just to see because <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine that. But anyway, Liz. Oh, uh, let's see. I like it a lot. I do think that your your use is going to be limited. When you do need it, it's nice to have. But, you know, as we've said before, at least nowadays, you can get all kinds of stuff, you know, generated online, you know, with electronic generators. Um, and a lot of people would probably rather do that. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Jim and give it a 3.5. Okay. I'm going to give it three shady dragons. <laughs> Just because I want to retain my hard ass uh, crown. And again, you know, it's very useful, but it's not going to knock your socks off. It's more like a, a solid RPG supplement. I personally think that the floor plans of the tavern will probably be more originally of use than anything else. Because, again, like you said, random generators, you can do that online. Um, well, as opposed to random generators, though, this publication is statted straight for basic D&D, so there's that. Yes. It's hard. I mean, you can use the Labyrinth Lord character generator, which will do the same. But Oh, I didn't think of fact, that. You're right. Yeah, but basically, uh, no pun intended. <laughs> yeah. Was that the one you were using when you generated the characters that we used for the Holmes game you ran us in? Yes. And, again, to point out the oddness of random generators i used the labyrinth lord one and i ended up with a cup at least two maybe even three or four fighter types with like plate mail and a dagger (laughs) yeah it's really my dwarf has plate mail and a dagger (laughs) huh those were yeah those guys had already been to the tavern and had their sword stolen apparently (laughs) and also the the random generator that he used it also gave random personality traits. and that you could ignore. Yeah, but you got weird combinations, you know, that just made no sense. And we were having a good time just reading off, you know, like, my character has a drinking problem. <laughs> but she's an upstanding citizen of the town. <laughs> you know? She is a violent caregiver. Yeah, you know, just <laughs> weird, weird stuff. You know, it's, it's like the... It's like the character generation equivalent of a Mad Lib. You know, it's like, okay, that makes no sense. Oh, but I'm going to go with it. <laughs> so, once again, we end the show. Aww. That would have been, by the way, 3.35, I think, dragons. Shady dragons. <laughs> but we're ending the show now on the dusty road leading to who knows how many taverns in the future. And how are we heading on this dusty tavern destination road, Liz? Well, I'm wandering through the wilderness all alone. It's been a hard journey. I've been having to sleep on rocks and stuff. But then suddenly, just in the distance, this fantastic-looking tavern has appeared. And after being on the road and getting all wet and everything and just feeling nasty. It's like, this tavern is a godsend. I'm going to go there and I'm going to stay the night. I'm going to sleep in a real bed for the first time in two weeks. At the happy foul. (laughs) (laughs) 
at the Tavern of Deadnu. <laughs> it looks marvelous. <laughs> which is, which is uh, Hobgoblin for the Happy Thal. <laughs> anyway, Jim? I don't get to go down the dusty road because I work in the tavern and it's 4 a.m. and I'm sweeping up a pyramid about a foot and a half high of broken glass and cursing out every tavern customer that was in there that night because I did that for real in college. <laughs> it's a job. <laughs> and it's closing time? Yeah. You don't have to go home? Bar, bars don't close in Louisville till 4 a.m. So, yeah. But you can't stay here. <laughs> well, I'm headed proudly down the dusty road in my plate mail, though it, I do think that that large group of fighters back there with the cans of yellow paint are following me. I'm not sure why. Run, Mike, run! <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sure they're friendly. Ah! <laughs> See everybody on episode 105. Bye-bye. See ya! Briark. And that's all. The Saber Dive Podcast is a production of Wild Games Productions in association with D20Radio.com. The Saber Dive theme music is provided by the band Mississippi Bones. You can find them at mississippibones.bandcamp.com. Guests of the Saber Dive Podcast stay at the luxurious Shady Dragon Inn. But it, it's got some good stuff in there. <laughs> stuff I had not been aware of, especially regarding Chaosium. It's early days. I'll try. Cool. I hope so. I, I hope I enjoy it. Uh, John Peterson has wrecked me, though. <laughs> I mean, the, yeah. after John Peterson, I, I, I was like sneering the entire way through of Dyson Men. Yeah, I couldn't finish. Um, and some people are like, oh, it's a great book. I'm like, okay, whatever. Didn't do it for me. Um,